Welcome to Power to Speak, the podcast. I'm Jackie Goddard, and it's my mission to help people market themselves effectively and show up powerfully for their audience by using their voice and their story to share their message and ideas. Not only does the podcast allow me to talk to interesting, inspiring and successful individuals, but it gives me and you, dear listener, the opportunity to learn from the best. Whether business or thought leader, entrepreneur or author, what's been their journey and how have they used their voice and their story to create that success? My podcast guest this week is the glorious Jill Nalder. Jill is a singer and actress performing in London's West End in, amongst other things, Les Mis and Oliver. She is also a founder member of the West Enders and tours the world performing songs from West End and Broadway musicals. Early in 2021, you will have seen Jill in Russell T Davis's award-winning TV series It's a Sin, spookily playing her own mother. Russell, a childhood friend and fellow West Glamorgan Youth Theatre alumni, used Jill's experiences of living in a flat with gay friends in 80s London as inspiration for the show. Jill's activism and fundraising on behalf of HIV and AIDS sufferers, plus the care, dedication and support she gave to her friends, led to the creation of the hashtag BeMoreJill, which trended online after each episode. This is a fascinating conversation with an inspirational human being. Enjoy. Well, welcome to Powered to Speak, the podcast. My guest today is Jill Nalder, and I am so excited about talking to you, Jill. For, you, for those of you that haven't heard of uh, Jill, Jill is a West End superstar, <laughs> and, and actually the inspiration behind Russell T. Davis's uh, amazing It's a Sin. So welcome, Jill. I'm so, so pleased to have you here. I'm, in, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a bit of an honour to, to be asked to do podcasts for people. So thank you. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, what a story. What an amazing story you have, which obviously we will dive into a, a little bit. But I just want to touch on the fact that um, you are a, a housemate of of a previous podcast guest <laughs> of mine, J.L. Alexander. I am. I am. We've been friends for, well, we met when we were 14. So we've been friends for a very long time. Yeah. So uh, Jay is a, mu- is a musical director and very successful, again, a West End superstar. So you and Jay met back at drama school. What, what was the story there? We, well, it wasn't even drama school. It was um, school schools, you know, just a drama group linked to our, our actual schools. And you used to audition and then go off and do a sort of um, a residential course and put a production on at the end. It was West Glamorgan Youth Theatre, which was we loved it it was fantastic it was a good standard it was a really excellent standard even if the productions were well I mean we were all very young you you could be in it from the age of 13 some people even I think Russell Davis Russell T Davis was a member I think he was one of the youngest members he was a member from about the age of 12 so you you know you had a big variety of of age groups of children and, and young adults but the productions were finely tuned you know we were disciplined and it was a grounding in theatre and I learned a lot that I still still hear them you know you can still hear your teachers in your in your mind when you put your costume on don't sit down in your costumes and don't you know don't eat anything don't drink anything in your costumes and it still goes through my mind so we had a we had a very good theatre background training yeah and it and in the conversation I had with Jay it just gobsmacked me actually how many successful actors and performers have 
come out of West Glamorgan? There's a lot of people that have done extremely well. Top of the list, I suppose, is going to be Michael Sheen. Yes. Because he's, he's a, I hate to admit it, but a bit younger than me. But um, yeah, he was he was West Glamorgan Youth Theatre. Martin, Martin Ellis, Gareth Snook. Catherine Zeta-Jones was youth arts. So she was not on the youth theatre as such with the productions, but she would do the dance and... It, 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 there was there was sort of branches of the arts as well so she was a member of that so yeah so I guess Michael Sheen is, is our um, big star and Russell yeah. T Davis of course yes who yeah. was writing back yeah. then who I had the and I loved it when I when we did it because we you know you get put into your little groups and they give you projects and stuff to do and I was given the task of directing the play called The Hot House which was written by Russell T. Davis. And it was brilliant. Wow. It was brilliant then. And he was, I don't know, he must have been about 15 when he wrote it. And it was so funny and so entertaining. So I really got lucky to, to be doing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope you've got that on your CV that you've directed a Russell oh, T. Davis. But have it. Never mind that I was 17. <laughs> Yeah, brilliant. But it's it's just that area of Wales as well. I mean, I think that's where Richard Burton and uh, yeah, Anthony yeah. Hopkins and yeah, there is all of that. I mean, it's a densely populated area of the world, and we are brought up in Wales. Um, you know, with the with the arts, we're brought up singing and reading and poetry. I mean, my mum loved poetry. I love poetry. Um, so I guess that there's a little bit. You could say that there's a little bit of the culture of of the country that leads you into you know, perhaps pursuing that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, Jay, I don't know if Jay told you when he was talking to you, his father is mentioned in Richard Burton's biography. So That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I remember. His father was telling the truth. When he was <laughs> well, I mean, obviously there's uh, Dylan Thomas as well. It's, you know, it's... Glorious. Yeah. Yeah. Glorious. <clears throat> but of course, he's much further up towards Swansea and... Yeah area so it's for Talbot mm. that, that seems to produce all those those people there and I, I'm Neath so I'm five miles up the road and that's the whole culture of Wales isn't it music and song and yeah yeah and it's I, I don't know there's a there's a kind of a resonance in the voice in those in those voices oh well Richard Burton's voice is second to none is that and that, that's just you just want to listen to it but you've got a lovely speaking voice oh well mine's North London <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how I ended up at Mountview and um, we both uh, went through went through uh, Mountview Drama School which is in Crouch End in North yes, London yeah. so how, how did that move make what what sent you to to Mountview of all places well I was accepted that was a big thing because I was auditioning and and um, you know I, I was offered a place I was so excited that and I, I just thought that sounded great I didn't really have whole load of experience to know what to do you know I just saw it advertised you just one of the colleges that people were auditioning for and and I and, it, and I could sing and there was a singing audition as well as the acting audition so I like that um because I lo always have loved the idea of musical theatre yeah no I think it is known for its musical theatre course yeah, isn't yeah. It? so yeah. that I love that as well hence my godspell picture Yay. behind me which was a present from a girlfriend of mine, Francis, and it's an original, it's an original poster design. It was one of the first shows that I saw that I made me love musical theatre. So. Yes. What year was that? That was early 70s, wasn't it? That was early 70s. I was a kid. We were taken from, well, it was a tour. I didn't see it in the West End. I saw the tour um, that came to Swansea Grand Theatre. So it was uh, mid 70s. And yeah. we were taken on a school trip. 
I think the first one that I saw in the West End that really gave me a knot in my stomach that made me think, you know, I need to get on a stage. I think it was Elvis. They, they did. did there was an Elvis um, ah. where they did him a, a kind of a, a young Elvis, a middle Elvis, and an old Elvis. No, was Simon Bowman in that? Do you know, I, I, can't I think he was because I think he played the young Elvis and I was he was in college with me because yeah. I remember him getting that. And I remember there was a couple of different shows about Elvis on mm. and there was that one that did the three ages. And I, I, I think he was in it and it was a lovely production. I remember. It was. Yeah, it got me very excited about yeah doing doing uh, theatrical stuff. Um, I ended up going into teaching in, in, in the end uh, after doing sort of uh, auditions and things because auditions are quite difficult. Aren't they? I mean, you must have done a few in your time. Awful auditions and some ones that I think, you know, oh, I did my best and still didn't get it and all that kind of thing. So it is a minefield of uh, of horror, I think, sometimes. Yes. You yes. know, and you can face all these people and you can see them talking and sometimes you know they're not even talking about you, they're talking about how soon they can get out of this and go for lunch. And then I, I was um, talking about that experience I had when I was, when I first came out, we had to do audition technique. I don't know if when you were in Mountview, you did audition technique. No, but I don't think we did. I had, we, we had a day where we could practice our speeches and everything, and, you know, to, to just give it a whirl, really. And so I had my, um, I thought I was being kind of outrageous. I thought, this is what you do if you're an actress. So I had planned a speech from a play where I would take my dress off. Uh, or listen, you know, I was preparing to, I don't know, get into bed with somebody. I can't even remember what, what the speech was. But what I do remember was I only ever did it the once. because so I had this fantastic dress which buttoned all the way up down. I could take the, the dress off. And I'd forgotten when I was um, doing the performance that there was buttons on the wrist. So I took the dress off trying to be all like whatever it was. Got completely trapped <laughs> in the frock, in the dress. Finished the speech. Didn't I didn't have the confidence to like, you know, just undress myself properly. So, <laughs> I stayed trapped and I did the rest of my speech sort of like that <laughs> but I assume you were wearing something underneath I was oh yes I should have said that shouldn't I yeah <laughs> I did plan to remove the level of clothing for the effect so I was wearing underneath yeah a, a yeah. little sort of what I thought was quite a little glamorous petticoat they call it yeah, I mean, it's, they are such, um, well, because they're so out of context, aren't they, audition pieces? I mean, oh. you, you have a, a speech or a monologue that you prepare, and then, you know, you haven't got the rest of the play to kind of, uh, as, as a run-up, you literally step on the stage and do your speech. And to be fair, you know, I don't know about other actors and actresses out there, but you don't get asked for a monologue that often. I mean, it's not something, you mostly will get a piece of script, so it's yeah. just rare to be asked to do this for, for me at that time to be asked to do the monologue anyway I just looked like a yeah a git yeah and I laugh but you know at the time it you just lose confidence when things like yeah. go wrong in auditions so. yeah I have to say I I did I did hate them they they really did put me off which is what I do I, I now I help people <laughs> get through yeah. that process yeah. so but that they actually feel quite comfortable when they get on the stage I would hope you do need help you do you you do you need you need to practice. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Yes. Because there is a certain level of okay, I know how to place it now in my voice or I know what I'm doing mm. or I like it if I'm asked to read some script with someone. Yeah. Have you got have you got a tip for, for anybody going into an audition? Oh look, do you know what? well I have got a tip really because and I take it because I hear it from Jay. You know, they they want you to be good. And I think that's that's hard for an actor to remember because you 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 
they want you to give it your best shot. And I think that's quite a nice thing to think of because you hear these saying, you know, um, oh, think of them naked or think of them on the loo. And, yeah, and I never do that. You, you never go on stage. No. I'm going to think of you all naked. No. You know, in, in things like that. But, but you remember that they are on your side, really. They're not there. And, and so I think that does help. It's, a, it's not a room full of hostility. They want you to give your best shot. So yeah. I think that that is an, a little bit calming. Yeah. Yeah. Depends on how many times you call back and how near you are to getting something. I went to, I was quite calm on the day I went actually, I went to a Mamma Mia for the second film audition. I was called in. I didn't even seek the audition. And then I got thought, fabulous, this is brilliant. So I go to the audition and really there, it's a chat. It's more like how you look and, and what they're doing. And, and you know, I, I'd done a film with some people that were involved with it before, which is how I got called along. I thought this is fabulous. They took me in, fitted costume for me. I went in to speak to somebody else. My picture was on the wall. Meryl Streep was on the same wall I at. And um, so were all the other people. It wasn't just me and Meryl Streep. <laughs> but it was, she was up there. And I thought, oh my God, I'm loving this. Never heard another word. I went out to that audition. I never, I waited. I thought, and a week has gone, another week has gone, another week. No, I never heard another word. So sometimes it is so disappointing. It, it is really disappointing, especially you think they would have the courtesy just to just an email and say, no, thank you. Well, you think, wouldn't you? But yeah. it didn't happen. You know, it doesn't happen. And so, you know, I kept thinking, surely they'd say thanks, but no thanks now. So then you keep your hopes up. But they probably had decided that afternoon, well, they'll go with the other person or whatever they decide. But yeah. And it is that thing as well of uh, of just realizing that it's it is not to take it personally because sometimes you just walk into the room and they know just by looking at you that you're not right. Yes, I know it's true, and and, and it's all of that, isn't it? And it's all of you being your best on the day that you know the best you can be. And I think I I always feel better. I think well, I did I did the best I could. I didn't let myself down, so I'll live with it now. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Well, let's go back to those early days. Obviously, you've you've arrived in, in Mount View and you've sort of come from this uh, pool of, of incredible talent from from West Morgan, including Russell T. Davis and Jay. And you've you've moved down to London to Mount View. And, and it was you were with students. You um, rented the flat, which is now known as the Pink Palace. Yeah. We were all, yeah, well, we, we were from the youth theatre and some and some people that I met in in. Um, London as well, but a lot from Wesker Morgan because it was Jay that found the Pink Palace with Martin Ellis. And then we went to see it and, and it was fantastic. It was, and, and it was an absolutely amazing flat for students because it was so glamorous. It was so pink and it had chandeliers and um, beautiful silver surface. You know, we couldn't really be, we couldn't really believe our luck because we had lived in some rough places. I mean, you know, you, you it's difficult to find places. It's difficult to yeah. find places when you're a student. This place was absolutely affordable. It was the top of, you know, the bottom of a place called Charles Hill, which is very close to Hampstead Heath. So it's a beautiful part wow. of London. Yeah. Absolutely landed on our feet. So we what went. were they thinking? Whoever your landlord was, what were they what thinking? Were, what were they thinking? Because this lovely man had turned up to show Jay the flat and, and it, it has been his mother's flat and it had this very sort of as if it had been designed by a very well-to-do, you know, older lady. It had that feel to it. And why he thought it was okay for students, I don't know, but we had a party for 30 people that slept over one night. So 
I um yeah, but we didn't wreck it or anything. We really didn't. We we, we you know, but we parted. Yes. Yes. Well, you have to, uh, you know, going back that I, re I remember those days well. Um, just a, a little bit of context. Obviously, Russell T. Davis then went on to write It's a Sin, which was a huge hit of a TV series earlier in the year, I think, this year. Yeah, it was in February. And gosh, you know, our feet didn't touch the floor for weeks after it because it had such a response. I mean, Russell yeah. was I, I know that Russell was overwhelmed. He really was because he was not expecting to get the level of. I don't know, love and appreciation and care for the people. And so it, it was, it is, has been remarkable. Yes. And you were the inspiration for Jill, Jill. I mean, it, and I, I saw uh, Russell interviewed, I think on the Loose Women, and he was saying that he couldn't even change, you know, th th there's an amalgamation of different characters. They're not necessarily all set about the, the, the actual characters that were there. But with your character, he couldn't, he said he couldn't even change the name to anything else it, it had to be Jill so so how, how did it feel to to have that written about you and the and the circumstances well I, I, I never really saw it coming to be fair I, I chatted with him about what it was like in the 80s and and in the 90s as well because it didn't end in the 80s although that was said moreover through that decade and I didn't really take on board the enormity of Russell in the first place. I, I mean, I know that everybody loves him and I know that what he does is so highly prized, but I never saw the, and I could never see coming the huge effect that it would have. So it, it shocked me. It was very, very surreal. And, I, and also he had his dramatic license. So not absolutely everything is exactly as it happened because he didn't write the life story of, of, of Jill Nolder. He wrote Jill's, you know the experiences of the 80s around what it was like for me so so I do keep telling people that I wasn't beaten over the head by the police I have to say yeah that, that was a total like Russell might have thought I'd like that to happen to Jill but <laughs> a bit of artistic license a there. Bit of artistic license so I have said that I wasn't operated to, to sort of fight the police off but yeah I, I, I did hospital visits for sure yeah, I mean, just sitting and, uh, and watching it, it kind of starts with this sort of very joyful, you know, London, young people going out and enjoying themselves, yeah. you know, with the freedom of leaving home and all of those things. And then obviously... He captured that, I think. Yeah, and then it, obviously HIV sort of started creeping in and, and it was quite clear that obviously, and I, I, you know, I remember I was there, I was at fashion college, I was doing uh, fashion and textiles at the time. So yes, you, it, it kind of sort of seeped into, you know, what is this? Yeah. And when you think of it now, like, you know, with, with COVID, and the fact that everyone's going, you know, uh, it's, it's now ruining your, your sort of the way that you want your life to be lived. It's for a while, and carrying on into losing people completely destroyed the life that that you thought you could live because you were suddenly surrounded by people dying and so and in secrecy so often you know or not even being able to feel free to be honest about stuff so yeah I think that it's he, he did capture that he and he lived through it so he he knew he just wasn't in London and I think London was a big epicenter of of people that you know 
came to hospitals in London or had come to live in London and, and were looking for that freedom that you talked about just there. Yeah. And so I think that that's, yeah. So it, it really did go from, but on the other side, like any humans in any situation, you, you then find how you're going to deal with it. And, and I think our way to deal with it and my way was to be as active as I could to help out, to be there, to, to, you know, fundraise that kind of thing because yeah. as Russell looked at the did a lot of that political sort of side of things with act up and that in it's a sin and I think in in my real world I I did a lot of organizing events fundraising marches that kind of thing for awareness as opposed to um actually fighting although we knew about the drugs that were out there and we knew things we you know we we, we petitioned a fair bit against you felt like sometimes, sometimes it's a real juxtaposition because you feel like sometimes gay men are not getting the treatment because there's not enough research, because no one's that interested because it's gay men that are getting ill. But on the other hand, then something comes out and the gay men are used as guinea pigs. So it's a real a, a battleground really between, yes, we need some drugs, but yes, we don't want to just be, or not we, not we, because it wasn't me taking them, but they didn't just want to be experimented on in a way no. just been the guinea pigs and, and these drugs are not really like everyone is with the vaccines now you know some people don't feel safe well the side effects of things like AZT were drastic I mean they were made people very ill so it was um it was very tempestuous yeah yeah I mean and it, it must have been so frightening for those guys in the in the beginning oh, then awful absolutely awful because you just did not know. And, and you know, there was a lot of dark humour about things and, you know, being trying to be flippant about it. But it was the horror of finding some mark on your body or something. Somebody would say, well, you're not looking well. Are you all right? And it put the, a, a real fear into people. So Yeah. I mean, it's that, that fact that for, the, for those young men, it was uh, quite often a secret from their families. So that, that must have been, you know, doubly difficult. Awful. And it was mums and dads, really. You know, a lot of people trusted their brothers and sisters. And then that was a burden for the brothers and sisters because you feel like, you know, or maybe you could tell your mum and then don't tell your dad or, you know, don't. my mum knows I'm gay, but my dad doesn't. And, you know, it, it was a conundrum, really, because everyone's families were different. Some families were amazing. Some yeah. families were so steeped in the fear of homosexuality that the, the, the first door wasn't open. So you couldn't open the second door. No. I mean, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Now we're looking back how, how awful it was back then to be a gay man, just to be, be demonized for being gay. And, and I think they, and we, and, and you in the fashion and, and me in the theater, I think you kind of accepted it as normal. It's weird when you think of it now, because you didn't, you, we thought we were living through a very free time when life started and it's when you look back at it you think gosh really you know it was because our little world was a very free and open place and I'm sure it is exactly the same in fashion yeah you know the, that world is very free as far as sexuality goes and so it it was it felt like normal that you would if you were going home and you were going to be with where there was a lot of like straight men in a club or something like in a rugby club or something like that then you would never behave or speak about your, your sexuality if you were a gay man you would always yeah. try to hide that 
So what did, I mean, obviously you played uh, Russell Castew as as Jill's mother, uh, which must have been quite strange. But how did your parents feel about you living in this sort of atmosphere? Did they understand what was going um, on? Yes, they did. They did understand. And um, and my parents are now not alive to have seen what happened with It's a Sin and everything. So that's, that is a little bit of a shame because, well, it's a huge shame. It's a, it's a, um, because they were very much like they were portrayed, you know, to, to, to be Jill's parents. They were, I was told by the director that the, the Steve Toussaint and myself, we were representing what might be the parents of the future. You know, that, that it was going to be very, we were tolerant parents of the character Jill. And so, and Russell knew my parents and knew that they were, they were tolerant parents. They were very accepting. They were older when they had me, which I think might make a difference in life. You know, mm. they were, they were in their mid thirties, which was older back then. It's, I know that's like very common now, but back in the sixties, that, that was a little bit older than most people's parents. So I think they'd had some experience of life. They, they l literally did love my friends and that's yeah. the case. Oh, that's lovely. We're not ending here. Just taking a quick break to remind you that you are listening to Power to Speak, the podcast with my guest, Jill Nalder. And there will be more from Jill and her story after we hear from our friend, fellow podcaster and teller of tantalising tales from the Storytelling with Puck podcast, Stefano Capacchione. The story I'll, I'll read for you the once with three little girls. This is a dream that I think really shows how we view transformation. Dreams, emotions, empathy, connection, stories. Storytelling with Puck. Find your next tantalizing tale on your favorite podcast platform or at puckcreations.com forward slash storytelling with Puck podcast. So how long then after, um, obviously, the initial fear and the realisation, because it, it really struck me, this kind of thing that boys would disappear. So they'd go home and then you'd never see them again. Well, I, it's the, that is the truth. And, and the, the, the weird truth is, and, and I was telling you earlier on now, and I am writing this book, which I was asked to write about life, of, of life through the 80s and, and how it is with AIDS. And not only did they disappear then because they were ashamed or their families were ashamed and they went home and then you never really heard from them again. Even looking for people, like looking for their names and, and things like that online or trying to find out about people, they've still disappeared. You know, you still, I still have lost people that, not, not close people, but I still know of people that we'd heard and we've always thought of oh, that they, they had AIDS. Yeah. And we still don't really know, you know, all these years later, it's still quite hard to, to find out what happened to somebody. So, and yeah. that, that's, as a, that's been quite a surprise to me because you'd think, okay, you might be able to find out what, what had happened to so-and-so. And, and to be fair, a lot of people are proud and, and out there and saying what had happened. And, you know, this is, it's the same as if somebody, but you'd never hide that someone had died of cancer or. No. But no. you still do with AIDS, I think. Yeah, I think there is still a slight stigma, isn't there? I mean, it's obviously a lot better now. And people realise that there are now drugs that 
you know, it just helped people live with it and, and they're very successful. And you have every right in life to be private about your health and, and to have kept that private from the rest of the world. But there are still a lot of people who don't just like to say, like someone might say, oh, I'm diabetic. I think very few people say, oh, by the way, I am HIV positive. Mm. Yeah. Still got that stigma to it. And yeah. I've had young people come to me because of it's a sin. And, and I had some very moving things happen to me where young men have come to me quite tearful actually and and say you know I'm HIV positive and I haven't really been open about it so and that's today in in the last year so yeah not easy for people but it, it kind of I think I don't know maybe I'm I'm wrong here but I think it it kind of had its had its time it was splashed all over the media there were tombstones there were you know don't die of ignorance and all of those things and then it kind of once there was something or they did they realized that actually there were the drugs that could prevent it or or it was only happening to gay men it kind of went out of the out of the the you know people's thoughts and so there was never education around I don't know it just you know even kids today probably don't even know what AIDS is no, they probably don't and they and they but but young people out there sort of in their 20s they are taking the prep and the and the stuff to take to keep themselves safe and to be open about their diagnosis on you know the gay website you know gay, um dating websites and things like that mm. such an old-fashioned such an old-fashioned phrase. I'm just going to say grinder and things like that. People <laughs> put their status on and, and um, you know, very open about it. But I don't know whether they're open about it with all their friends or whether they're open in work or, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So I think there's, yes. still, there's still degrees of secrecy. Yeah. And so the activism sort of started how, how much, how long after the initial kind of realisation of what was happening, did you kind of getting to, to the fact that obviously you needed to raise funds and awareness? And oh, Well, that happened then really when I got into Les Miserables. Yes. So, and then there was a pool of people um, in Les Miserables who were, you know, up for doing what they did on Broadway, because it wasn't our idea. It was a Broadway Cares, Equity, Fight AIDS idea. And and obviously things are even harder in America because you have to fund your um, medicine, medical treatment. So here you have the national health, but there, of course, they, they were desperate for money, some people. So they started that. And then we, we cottoned onto that idea with West End Cares. And so we set it up from Les Miserables. West End Cares, the title had been used, but we took it over. And, and that went on for, well, it became West End Cares and then subsequently became Theatre Mad, which was Theatre Make a Difference. And that only has just wound up now because of COVID. Yeah. It, it couldn't keep going really with everybody's trying to fundraise for all kinds of different things. So it wound up as a charity, but it does not mean that we can't do an event that we could raise money for any, you know, other sort of age related charity like the Terence Higgins Trust, which is amazing. Yes. The Sussex Beacon, which I was yes. telling you about that made me a patron. And so. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about Sussex Beacon because you, you recorded a song for them, didn't you, with Jay and the West Enders? Yes, we did. And and we thought it was a good idea because in It's a Sin, you saw Richie, which is kind of Jay's like, like loosely based on me and Jay doing the cabaret scene when we did a lot of the gay clubs and things like that when we were in our 20s. And one of the songs they were singing in It's a Sin was One Voice. 
So we thought, okay, that's a nice little link to It's a Sin. It's a nice link to fundraising for the Sussex Beacon, which is for um, AIDS and other health concerns now. And also it suits the West Enders because there's six of us, nice harmonies, beautiful song with a sort of big key change and all that kind of thing. So, so we recorded it and because we are so technologically brilliant now, <laughs> it took us absolutely ages to work out how to, to promote this legally as a download and pay the right people and, and do all of that. And we finally managed to get it um, for release on Amazon and, and um, on iTunes. So 90p for, for money then to go to the Sussex Beacon and um, oh my gosh, technology and this license and that license. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a minefield. Yeah. Did you have to go to Barry Manilow? Did he yes. write it? He wrote it. Yes. And, and you had to go to Barry Manilow's estate. I, I know he's still alive, but you had to go to the owners of his come the records and find out who has the rights. And, but it's, it's, it's like create an account, download your information. Oh, and then they get back to you. And honestly, I mean, it wasn't me that did that. It was a couple of the boys yeah. in the West Enders who are so much better with technology. Yeah. And they were finding it hard. So. Yes. Well, I mean, the world, obviously, in these uh, pandemic times that we're living in, the social media and the, our online world has exploded. And right. if you, if that's not what you were doing before, suddenly, you know, including myself, have had to very, very quickly get to know how to use all this stuff. Well, this is this is amazing, isn't it? Because here, here's you and me now. And as soon as you, I couldn't get the first link to work. And as soon as you said Zoom, I thought, okay, I know Zoom. I yeah, yeah. That one, and that's worked very well for me eventually. Zoom, and then I, then I had one that was on Teams, and I thought, oh my god, what's Teams? <laughs> and so and then I found that, and then yours yeah. was something different. Oh, yes, okay. yes. Sorry about that. I threw yeah, you completely <laughs> back to back to good old fashioned. Well, yeah, good old fashioned Zoom. <laughs> it is now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lovely picture, and it's it's easy. It's, it seems to be easy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I do know on uh, Facebook, because I'm friends with Jay on Facebook, that you are known as uh, not on Facebook, Jill. Or... Jill who won't be on Facebook. Jill who won't be on Facebook, that's right. <laughs> the thing is, he's done that all the time. And so now it's become a um, sort of a, a thing, you know, a, a little thing that people have on Facebook. And I seem to be on Facebook, even though I, I don't do it. And I had a dream one night. And there was a, I was on a train and a ticket collector was coming around and he picked, took my ticket from me and he went, are you Julia won't be on Facebook? In my dream, it was so hot. Oh. <laughs> Facebook thing. Yeah. And I've, got a, I've done some on Instagram now, but I yeah. apologize to anyone who might be listening to us today that if they've tried to get me on social media, I'm just hopeless. So I do look at my Instagram and then I think, why have I pressed that up? And I think I press a picture I'm afraid that every picture I own in the world will suddenly come on Instagram and think I've done the wrong thing again. So yeah, yeah, it is, it is scary, but also it has been nice. So yeah. I'm not going to say that I've lovely things sent to me on Instagram, really nice comments. Some of the people that you know, some of the family members of the boys that were kind of alluded to in It's a Sin, and who have because everybody's watched It's a Sin and thought, gosh, that's my story because it's such a common line yeah. story. And some people contacted me, family members, and said, I think that was about my uncle. You were friends with my uncle and stuff like that. So that's been very touching and yeah. lovely. Most yeah. of that happened through social yeah. media. 
I mean, this this is never going to go away now, is it? I mean, we've 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 all discovered that we are totally connectable across the world. No, uh, you know, at the at the click of a button, kind of thing. No, and I had a lovely little message sent to me by a girlfriend of one of the boys that died back in the eighties, and today she got in touch with me, and that was brilliant. And that was no. that was through Jay on Facebook, actually. So I, I have to say, I've used it vicariously. Yeah. But, yeah. So where did where did Be More Jill come from? Because that's a hashtag now, isn't it? Be More Jill. Who started that? Where did that come Somebody, from? Somebody somewhere. I have no idea. That came through to me. And I I literally felt like quite overwhelmed by that because I it was nothing. Somebody out there started it. Is there a be more various things going on, like memes and uh, you know. I, I didn't even know what that was. And then I suddenly say, be more chill. And suddenly it's on a handbag and a cushion. And yeah. Oh my God. I thought I'd, I would love my mum to see this because, first of all, she'd be thrilled to bits, but she wouldn't be laughing. Yeah. Oh, be more chill. I mean, that just is, it, well, I mean, it's such a. Is it? It's so um, lovely. It's amazing. It's so lovely. It's surreal and, and it's fun. Yeah. And it's fun and it's funny and it's touching and it's everything, isn't it? Because it is. And I see be more Jill on a mask you know thinking, oh, <laughs> crazy <laughs> excellent so uh, is all this stuff is going in the book is it so so how how far through the the book are you well I am very far through it now you know I'm down to I've been doing it since May when they when I was actually asked to do it and I first of all I thought I I, I couldn't imagine that anyone would want me to do that and then you know conversation and you think I should accept this challenge it is a challenge I should accept it it's a nice way to pay tribute to the boys which was very very important to me because all of this anything lovely that is happening to me through it's a sin it's sad now because oh. anything lovely that's happening to me is on the back of what happened to them yeah and so that's a sadness and then I thought it's a nice way to tell the story of how brave and, and how amazing they were. So yeah. I wanted to do it for that reason. And I wanted to do it for the challenge for myself um, because as well, there has been so little work. So it was something to think about and to do and to test myself with. So yeah, yeah. all of that. Yes. I mean, and you, you are that you are their spokesperson, aren't you? You are, you are now their, their yeah. voice. And that's a, a major that's as much of a responsibility as the secrecy was at the time yeah because that's um that isn't made you've, you've just made it me think oh my gosh that's even more of a responsibility but I they were amazing and I want that to you know that's my that was my chance and if I said no I would probably regret that yeah oh well good luck with it and I, I will I look but forward to reading regardless of um of uh you know what people might say about it because I know people you know people have all kinds of opinions I've tried to be as honest as I can. I've tried to be, you know, tried to portray them as lovely. I also tried to tell a little bit of how it was without too, being too graphic about everything. But, you know, but they were amazing. And, and, and the close circle to me were amazing, but there was also thousands of other boys in situations with thousands of other Jills doing what they were doing. And so hopefully people will identify a bit with that as well. Yeah, no, that's it. And as you say, it's kind of brought everything back into yeah. the public eye when it, it had almost been forgotten which is is terrible that's what Russell did and that's what Russell managed to do so brilliantly 
yeah. so brilliantly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would recommend anybody out there that hasn't seen it go and go and watch It's a Sin. I mean, it's it's slightly harrowing, but actually, you know, it it's a story that needed to be told. So I think... from Russell T Davies. Yes, so he is yeah. so funny and fabulous performances from everybody. And brilliant performances from yeah. people, especially mm. Keely and Lydia and um, Ollie. And yeah, Ollie, all those yeah. young that did that were amazing yeah yeah so apart from writing the book in lockdown i i seem to think that you and jay were doing some comedy sketches or (laughs) i love that you found that because it was a youth theater it was it was only it's a comedy like few lines of dialogue but we had to find a way to stage it and it was the opening um speech from under milkwood it is spring moonless night in the small town and all of that. And Michael Sheen does his line in it. So everybody, ex-past members of the youth theatre were asked to do a couple of lines to do the opening monologue. And then it was put onto um, YouTube or Instagram or what it was on as a little thing from the Westgate Morgan Youth Theatre. And some of it is, it's all lovely because Dylan Thomas, what's not to like really with his writing, because for me it's, so beautiful yeah and it's so interesting how people did it uh, their lines anyway me and jay did our lines in as if we were in bed blowing the candle out so we staged it all and and if you start anything staging anything with jay has to get the lighting right <laughs> yes. we did it with lighting and then we just put it black and white should we leave it in black and white should we do this it was fun it yeah. Was really fun. So yeah it was one of those little lockdown things with the west enders we did a little series of doctor theater um and we did a sort of, we were singing a song each night and, and or not each night, every few nights we posted another thing onto YouTube or it was Instagram at the time. I think we were trying to do it just to keep ourselves going. Yes. Nobody saw it going on as long as it was going on. So we thought we could keep ourselves occupied for a couple of months, you know, doing various Yeah. Things. No, I think you, you're not the only one. I've, I've had a couple of actors on the podcast talking about just how they keep themselves going. over lockdown because you know to not be able to perform to do what you do in front of an audience is is not good for your mental health not good for your well-being really it's all that isn't it it's it's your mental health it's your creative health it's your financial health yeah you know that then that comes the worry of where the money coming from and you know some people fell through the the, through the net with the SACE payments and all that so so it's it's been a challenge all around and I know people have done things that people have done have made me laugh out loud some of the hysterical stuff that's been out there yeah things and so I think people have been creative yeah my creativity was was starting a podcast (laughs) how brilliant is that I mean how that's how fantastic is that you know yeah talk to and then it's like like that some people doing stuff like that is so what's kept us going, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, just that connection through a screen even is, is you know, and, and actually I find it a little bit more intimate. You know, you can get to know people better, I think, somehow than going out to a venue, going out to a space, you know, and, and talking to people. There is a little bit of that to it. I think you, you could be right about that. And mm. you you feel quite relaxed on it eventually. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so I think it's it's all of that. It's, it's everything that people have done as that that will there'll be a legacy from that I think oh, yeah. I think you're absolutely right there will be well just before we finish I would love to talk a little bit about um the West Enders because that's what you're doing now and I know sort of coming out of lockdown you've been waiting for those 
cruise ships to get oh, back yeah. out there. So yeah. tell us a little bit about what the, how the West Enders started and, and what you're doing now with them. Well, it started in Les Miserables with me and Linda Jarvis sharing a dressing room and wondering what we were going to do. And we've been doing a lot of the West End Cares nights, fundraising nights. And we thought, well, actually, if, you know, they seem to go very well, just a sort of amalgamation of musical theatre, all kinds of entertainment seem to go very well with audiences. Why don't we try and do it in a different way and try and put on a night for, say, corporate entertainment? So we started to get some ideas and and with Jay involved and some other people, six of us. And then it just grew from there. And then eventually, of course, we started it for corporate entertainment and then it became a theater show. And then somebody said, you'd go very well on a cruise ship. And we thought, not sure about that, whether it's a good idea or not, you know, because there's some that used to be, foolishly, some snobbishness about the cruise ships. But let me tell you, it's been a joy yeah. to sing for a couple of weeks. <clears throat> on a ship and we are treated very well we don't do the you know there's a there's a difference there's very young dancers that go onto a cruise ship and they get experience and they do the ship show and it's more very brilliant standard and everything but what we do is we go on as an act and we're a different kind of act so we get the pass we go on as passengers and we do we just do some shows maybe two or three shows in say two weeks we might do four shows four different shows the rest of the time of course you are the entertainment so you have certain boundaries where by you know you you are there to entertain you're there to speak with passengers you're there to you know um be part and parcel of the cruise ship you, you it's not it's not nice to hide yourself away and no. emerge to do a song and then go back into your cabin but it could not be more fantastic for me. It shows me the world. It shows me the size of the planet as you're sailing across the ocean. Cape Town, brilliantly, we sailed up the Amazon. It is, it's, it's a joy of life. And that has been a joy of life. Yeah, fantastic. Yes, because I love to travel. And, and it has given you a chance to see places that you would never be able to go to. I've been to the Falkland Islands and to some places like St. Helena, right in the middle of the Atlantic. You would never say, oh, I'll go on a holiday to somewhere like that. So it's given you a chance to explore the world and yeah. with your friends, doing yes. what you love. So yeah. Out there performing, yeah, as you say, doing what you love. You ask me what I'm promoting. I'm promoting cruising. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I think it's a lovely way to, to see the planet. Also, yeah. though, we, I know now the other thing I, I you know, like to try to think about is climate change and the environment and i'm a big sort of promoter of, of that as a way to a way forward so i know that cruising has to change a lot as far as its environmental policies and that yeah but and, and certainly i would imagine it's it's better than being on Shaftesbury avenue every night for <laughs> with the dressing rooms and some of those old theaters they're not quite cruise cruise ship level are they it's all very different you know it's just different it's uh, if you do everything too much you know it's, it's variety is the spice of life isn't it and for us they don't come they don't come across they don't come that often you know it's because we're a big company and so the, the ships don't want to take us have all that cabins and flights and stuff like that so so it's it's a treat when it happens yeah yeah, a lot of the time we are going up and down the country, which is also lovely in its way, you know. But we can leave London at six in the morning and be on stage in Inverness, and we've done that. Yeah, in the, 
happening and that's exhausting you know so it's, so then when somebody says well you can be on a cruise ship and sit in your cabin and walk up to the yacht club and have a glass of a second <laughs> yeah I know where I'd rather be sounds perfect sounds perfect and obviously you've had many many years I mean we didn't even touch on Les Mis and Oliver and you know everything else that you've done I mean you've had an amazing career oh thank you that 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 was you know anyone as, as we all know who, what it's like if, if you get into a West End show it's a little bit of security especially in Les Mis but you knew it wasn't going to close how how long were you in Les Mis I was there for f- just over four years and that so was I did it in I was there Maybe, maybe nearly, maybe nearly five years at the end of it all. But I, I was there for a couple of years, and then I went back to Oliver. No, I, I went on to Oliver. I didn't go back to Oliver. I, I got that job with the original cast of the revival at the Palladium. So I went and did that for a couple of years, and then they offered me first cover to Madame Thénardier. So I came back to Les Misérables because I thought, well, that's nice. I'll get to play Madame Thénardier, and um, you know, I'm still in the West End because it was still about, I don't know, being being around and at my home and things like that, which was, which was lovely. Cause when you've toured, I toured a lot and I did a lot of rep. So you're away from home a lot. And, and so then it was just an exciting thing to be in the West End. Yeah. I love it all. I, I do love it. I love the theater. I love the, the shows. I love been lucky to be able to do it for a lot of my life. I've had loads of other things that I've had to do along the way to keep the money coming in, but you know, I yeah. try to work hard and, and do my best really yeah perfect well well done an amazing career amazing career and it's been so fantastic to talk to you I'm so glad you you agreed to come and talk to me so thank you so much really enjoyed it thank you well I will let you get on with your day thank you very much Jill bye-bye many thanks to Jill for joining me to share her journey what an incredible life and what a remarkable woman what were your takeaways from our conversation Connect with me on LinkedIn or contact me through the website powertospeak.co.uk and let me know. And remember, check out some tantalising tales and magical moments from Storytelling with Puck. Find them where you find your favourite podcasts or head over to puckcreations.com forward slash storytelling with Puck podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, then please leave a five star review on whichever platform you're on. And if you'd like to receive information about future guests or would like to know more about Power to Speak coaching, then sign up for our fortnightly newsletter at powertospeak.co.uk. Bye for now.